that uh, song we just sang, which is particularly relevant to what we'll be talking about here this morning, uh, which is uh, in the, the last line, he talks about close faith with certainty. And that's what we're going to be talking about some today is the certainty that comes because of the resurrection that we can have with the resurrection. I hope you have uh, had an enjoyable uh, time and, and holiday you can over these last few days. And uh, if you weren't able to, to see or, or notice and you want to follow that up on Friday, Good Friday, as a commemoration of Good Friday, uh, I posted a video to, to YouTube and to Facebook about what the gospel is and why it is a Good Friday. If you haven't had a chance to see that, I hope that you'll be able to. It is a, really about what the gospel is, essentially, and so if you think it appropriate to pass that along to those that you know so they can understand the gospel, then that would be, be great. You can share that as much as you will. Also, if you didn't get the, the link well to the Sunday school thing for the, the children, if your children are wanting to uh, know the, the Sunday school and have their Sunday school lesson, we've made a, a video or Kirsten and the girls put together a Sunday school video and that's emailed. If you didn't get that, then uh, let me know so we can make sure that you uh, have a chance to do that. This morning for our, our look and our celebration at the gospel, I'm going to take us back to a passage which for me became quite relevant and uh, in, in a lot of ways about what we're doing here and celebrating, not just the resurrection, but what the resurrection means and particularly what it means in a society where we're celebrating the resurrection and I'm talking to a camera and seeing you somewhere else. That's a, a very odd world that it puts us in at the moment and what happens and the resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks to that. It speaks to how we can handle this and, and, and what it means in circumstances where the world changes so quickly. We're going to look in Job chapter 19, Job chapter 19. So that's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're not sure how to find it, if you take your Bible and if you open it right dead center in the middle, you should be in Psalms. Psalms is right in the middle. It's just before. So turn towards the front of the book, just a few pages, and you'll find the book of Job. We're going to be in Job chapter 19. Job 19 and verse 25 will be our text where we look at this morning and looking back to Job. Job is, although not at the beginning of the Bible in, in the way it's put here, it is probably the earliest of the Bible books written. And it is certainly about one of the earliest stages in history that we have here about this man named Job. It was written before what many of us are familiar with in the Old Testament. So it was written before the law and before the sacrifices and before the temple, before all of that was, was done. Uh, there is this man, Job. Job is similar in many ways to Abraham, uh, who we probably know much, much better. But Job was a godly man who was living in an ungodly world. He loved God. He believed God. He pursued God, even though many, many around him didn't. You don't know that any of us may, but uh, you'll remember or perhaps know that Job's life is very quickly turned upside down. He was a wealthy man. He, he was well regarded in his society. 
He had uh, a good family. He had uh, a prosperous lands and, and investments and things that he had. And he was doing very well. And on top of all that, he was a good and godly man. But very quickly, in a rapid series of tragic events, all of that is taken away. Is, he loses his crops and his livestock to, to raiders. And in a, a, a freak accident that comes along where all of his children are gathered together celebrating in the home of the oldest son, uh, a wind comes and blows the house down and the whole family there, with the exception of Job and his wife, are killed. Tragic circumstances which come rapidly. Everything in his life within a very quick success had worked so hard for and that he loved is now gone. Everything in a moment. As you read through the book of Job, which is essentially a book about Job and his three friends talking and trying to figure out what is going on and why this is happening and, and what he needs to do about it. As you read through the book of Job, Job and his three friends are essentially trying to figure out the answer to the question, why? Why is this happening? Why has this taken place? Why has Job been put into this intense trial, this place of uncertainty and tragedy? Why? They're looking for. But as you read through the book, while they're asking why, in the end, God doesn't really answer that question, why? But instead, he poses another question and answers that. The question that God poses and answers is not why, but who? Who? This is about God. There's something greater than the why that's going on here. We're looking something at something deeper. You know, I know many asking why in the circumstances we're in now. Maybe for the, the big picture, why would this be allowed to happen in this world? And if God is, is good and just, then why does something like this happen? And if God wants good things, why are we seeing so much death? Why is life changing so quickly? There's so many questions that come to mind in circumstances like we find ourselves in now. And again, I think like God does here in Job, I think when we ask why, we perhaps miss the greater lesson that's to be learned here, and that is the who. Who? And that's what we want to talk about more this morning. You see, our faith and our hope are built on what Christ has done. And although we're looking back here at one of the earliest portions of the Bible and one of the, the earliest aspects of this thing, well, what, what does this have to do with the resurrection? Just like we look backwards on what happened on Christ's death and his resurrection, for Job, forward to it. See, there was a promise already in place, a promise that a savior would come, a promise that there would be a resurrection, that there would be life eternal, that there would be hope. And it's that promise of what was to come that Job clings to so strongly. Let's, let's read, and we'll get a little bit of a picture of this as we read here in Job chapter 19 and verse 25. Again, you can follow along if you've got your Bible there or listen as I read. So Job chapter 19, beginning reading 25. And it says uh, here, Job says, For I know 
that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. My skin is destroyed. This I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Let's have a moment of prayer before we look more at this passage. Our Heavenly Father, we come now to this wonderful encouragement in your word, and we pray that by the end of these few minutes that we spend together, that we will be able to say with the same confidence that Job is, I know my Redeemer lives, and I know that when this flesh, when this body passes away, I will see you with my own eyes. Praise you. Thank you for this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Believers in Job's time, just like Job, believed the promise of what was to come. There is a resurrection to come, that there is a savior that would give life. And so I want to look this morning just quickly at this uh, idea of what Job says here and learn from the resurrection, how it influenced Job and how that can impact our lives today. My outline today is very simple. Uh, I want to use just that one statement that he makes at the beginning, for I know that my Redeemer lives. I'm going to divide that into three sections. We're going to look at it really quickly. First, I know my Redeemer lives. That's my three points. That's what I want to focus on this morning. So firstly, let's consider this statement that, that Job makes for I know, I know. You know. We look at Job and Job here is in, in a place in the world where he is in confusion. This world is in confusion. He is in trial, deep trial. You go back to Job chapter one and you see how this all began. Job chapter one and chapter two will show you the setup and, and how this all transpires and, and what begins. But what we find in Job chapter one is that God allowed this to happen. This tragedy which befell Job, this massive tragedy which befell Job, God allowed. But we also find in those chapters, while God allowed it, he also limited it. And he provided Job's protection through it. God was overseeing it. He allowed it to happen. And, and as we look at the circumstances we're in, and biggest possible sense, whether it's just this this virus, coronavirus we're dealing with, or whether it's more particular issues. Maybe you've lost your, your job and the things that come with that, or maybe there's trials with family or struggles with health or illness even. Now, it doesn't matter what we're talking about here in these things. The, the same is going to apply in all those things, the trials both big and small. As this trial came on, as this all this happens and everything falls down around Job, his wife, on two occasions, comes to him and says, Job, just curse God and die. Let it, let it all end. God has not done good by you, she believes. And she tells Job, if he hasn't done good by you, just curse him. Let this all end. But Job doesn't do that. But Job didn't understand. By saying all this, I mean, I'm not meaning to say that Job understood, and that he knew all that was going on. He didn't understand. He felt pain. And he struggled with this as he went through. You can see that as you read 
feet and and many times he, he vents his confusion and sometimes he vents his his pain and his struggle with it all job chapter 3 verse 26 he says i am not at ease nor am i quiet i have no rest for trouble comes you're often like job sees here life doesn't seem to make sense for many of us our current situation has left us struggling and confused. I don't understand why things happen, why they happen the way they do. And often in our life, things happen seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem to work. I'll read for you a passage from the New Testament. You can turn there if you like. It's in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'll, I'll read a few verses from here, but they echo so much of what we see in the struggle of Job here. But in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. You know, Paul writes there, he says, it's, the whole world is groaning. Everything in creation is, is bearing the burden of this curse this trouble which comes on us, which is a result of the sin which comes into the world. This is everything. And then further, he goes in verse 23 of Romans chapter 8. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, and by that he means those who are the believers, the Christians, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So see, even we're struggling, even we're groaning under the confusion and the, the struggles, and we are eagerly, eagerly waiting for when Christ will come and make everything right again. And so verse 24 continues, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. But why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. That is, we live in hope. We have this eager anticipation of what is to come, of a resurrection eternal. Like Job, we live through the trials, live life with, with hope of a resurrection. There is a certainty, though. We've, we've seen how quickly the world can change. You know, six weeks ago, I was sitting down and I was preparing and, and figuring out how we're going to, to do our Easter services and what we were going to do and involve it and how we could invite people and, and what the service would look like. You know, that was only six weeks ago we were, we were finalizing and, and thinking about those. I had no idea that on Easter Sunday morning, I'd be standing here in my living room with my family speaking to a camera how quickly things change. But not just big events like this in this world, but the world is always changing. Things are constantly changing. Our theories and our understanding of the world and of life are constantly changing. Our influential people are changing. The people we put hope in and, and trust in constantly changes. The author, uh, Louis Lamour, once penned these words, the one thing that never changes is that everything changes. 
And that statement is correct mostly. It is true that everything changes, but there is one thing that never changes. Or maybe I should rephrase that more correctly. There is one person who never changes. God never changes. Job didn't understand his circumstances. He didn't know what was going on and why it was going on. That's He and his friends are trying to figure that out, figure out why this is happening to Job and what he needs to do to, to fix it. But he didn't see behind the scenes. He didn't see what God was doing for him and in him behind the scenes of all this. See, one of the things that it tells us at the very beginning why God allowed this to happen to Job's life is it tells us that God knew what was in Job's heart. He knew the type of man he was. He knew what he could handle. He knew that he could put him through this trial. He could endure through this. And although he would struggle and although he would find pain and difficulty, he knew that he would still believe God. While everything else disappeared, Job knew something for sure. And that's what he writes for us in these words. I know that my Redeemer lives. We too put too much faith in things that disappear. Our possessions, our work, our health, people. We've seen on a small scale, even here in our own lives, how quickly some of those things don't even matter. How quickly we can do without some of those things that we put so much time and effort into. But Job was confident in God. He was certain in God. What I love about this passage that we've just read, these few verses, is how greatly you see his confidence in the way he uses the words like, I know and shall. You know, he begins, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand on the last day of the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that I in my flesh shall see God whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall be holding with confidence, even in a time when he is confused and struggling. Job had confidence in God and in God's plan. He was not, well, I think God is like this and does things like this. That's what I think. Or, I hope God knows what he's doing. Job's attitude, Job's belief was, I don't know what God is doing, but I know God is trustworthy. I know he is trustworthy. I know God will protect me. I know that he will do right. Now, that doesn't mean that Job didn't struggle, that he didn't have trouble with his circumstances. He certainly did. But in a confusing world, in a world which brings so much trial and tragedy and, and difficulty in our life, there is, there can be stability, there can be certainty, there can be genuine hope, genuine peace. You can have strength in trials. Do you have confidence in the character of God? Because that's what this all comes down to. Who is God? Who do you believe that he is? James, toward the end of the New Testament, tells us that in God there is no change. There is no variation or even shadow of change. That is, there's not even the hint of change. He is always the same. 
Isaiah chapter 46, not far from where we are in the Old Testament there, says that God knows the beginning and he knows the end and he knows everything in the middle. He knows what's going on. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He is the same always. So in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulty, he is the same God that is there at the highs and the joys and the rejoicing of your life. He is the same God through everything, thick and thin. He is the good and compassionate and glorious, holy, righteous, wonderful God. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy, says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. And that he's been talking about his own trials and his own difficulties in preaching the gospel and traveling and telling the gospel. I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Job has a confidence. He can say no. And I hope that through this and after this, you'll be able to say that same confidence that I know. He says, I know my redeemer, my redeemer. Here, although Job didn't have a full concept of what this redeemer meant and what it was, because he is so far from it before it. He knew the promises. He knew what was to come ahead. He didn't know that it would be Jesus. He didn't know that it would be through his death on the cross and the resurrection. Those parts of the promise hadn't been made clear yet. What had been clear is that God had promised that he would send a redeemer to take care of the sin and the sickness and the sadness, and he would provide life and a resurrection. And he looked forward to that. We have the bonus of being able to look backwards to it and look back and see that that promise that God made about crushing sin and death and giving life and salvation is found in Jesus Christ, that he is the redeemer that Job was longing for, looking for. The word redeemer here is, it's used in in this Old Testament sense of a family member, a close relative, so that if a, a family member or somebody was in dire straits, if if their, their uh, finances had fallen apart, if they'd lost their, their land or they'd become enslaved in some way, a close family member, a relative who could afford would be able to come and pay the debt and buy them out of their bondage. That's what redemption or the redemption means to buy back, to buy back the debt that we owe, the debt that needs to be paid, what needs to be bought back for us is the debt we owe of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. The debt for that sin is later said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, for the wages, for the payment, the debt of sin is death. The debt is owed to God. It's not a debt which is owed to Satan. The debt is owed to the holy and righteous God. I explain a little bit more of this in the video I did for Good Friday. So if you don't know it or you need to look a little bit more, you can see on our 
website that which goes into more detail about how we owe the debt of sin to God. He's the one whose law we violated, separated from God forever and tormented. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus is the redeemer, the one who would pay the debt. Second in verse 21, the apostle Paul writes and says, for he that is God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is our substitute. He paid our debt. First Peter chapter one says, knowing this, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct, but rather with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot but as you can't buy yourself back there's nothing that you have that can buy yourself out of your bondage of sin but jesus can jesus can notice that he says here for i know that my redeemer lives he doesn't just say i know that a redeemer lived but he makes it personal my redeemer and it's personal for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's personal because it's about my sin. My sin. I am responsible for my own sin. Nobody else is responsible for what I do. I make the choices. I choose to rebel against God. I choose to go my own way. That's why the Bible says that there is none righteous. No, not one. This is not generic. It is not impersonal. My sin is what ruined my relationship with God. And so because of my sin, he is my redeemer. Romans chapter three in verse 24, it says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Each of us sin and each of us can be redeemed, bought back to inheritance he paid our debt. Job knew that God would avenge him. Job knew that God would mediate for him and stand up for him. And that is what Christ can do for you. Mediates for you, pays your debt, becomes your redeemer by faith. Just a moment ago, I read Romans chapter three and verse 24 it continues like this in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation or the payment, the place where the payment is made. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. That is, he paid your debt. I know my redeemer lives. He lives. Christ rose from the dead. That's the celebration of Easter Sunday. Christ rose. That's why behind me, I have the words, he is risen. That's why we read in Matthew, the angels speak to the women as they come to the tomb and says, I know you're seeking Christ who was crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen. Christ is risen 
You see, one of the things about the idea of a redeemer is to be able to to be able to pay that debt for them. You have to have the power to be able to do so. You have to be able to do that. If I am enslaved, I am unable to buy somebody out of slavery because I'm enslaved. I need somebody who has the resources, somebody who is able and willing to pay that debt to buy me out of my slavery. This is what Jesus did for us. Through the power of God, he is able to buy us out. He has the power to do it. This is his great purpose. This is why he came. This is why Jesus came and died and three days later rose from the grave. He came so that he could buy us out, so that he could provide that redemption, so that he could destroy sin and death, so he could destroy the power that Satan has over us and over this world. He did it so that he could bring us near to God again, to says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. One of the glories, one of the amazing things that we celebrate as the resurrection is it's not just about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did rise from the dead, but it's the implications. It's the results of why Jesus rose from the dead that is so amazing in our lives. Because Christ rose from the dead, it means that I can rise from the dead too. He is my guarantee. Christ's resurrection is the guarantee that I too can find life everlasting. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives in power For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Which means that we can say, just like Job says here, I will see him. I will see my Savior. I will see my God with my own eyes. He will the dead and he will bring me to live with him for all eternity so that i can glorify him and praise him and see what god meant for life to be to be able to look on the one who saved me what it also means is not just that he rose again and he defeated sin and death and that because he did that it means i will rise again but it also means because he rose into heaven the bible tells us that he will also return again so that he can get us and to create the perfect environment that he wanted in the first place, that he intended for this to be before sin entered into the world. Before he creates all of this and before he brings perfection and glory, he comes firstly to judge. Now, there are two judgments that come because there are two ways of life. The Bible talks about two resurrections. The first is the resurrection to life. And that's for those who believe Jesus, those who have believed that he is the savior, that he is the redeemer. And when he comes back, he will raise them up to eternal life. The second resurrection is the resurrection to eternal condemnation. That is for those who have not believed that Jesus is the savior, who have not believed that Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt of sin that I owe 
and believe that his resurrection is what can give me life. If we reject that, if we refuse to believe in Jesus, when he comes the second time, we find ourselves not put in condemnation, but left in condemnation. What is it that determines the outcome? What determines whether I will have life eternal or eternal condemnation? The difference is, what makes the difference is belief in Jesus. Without Jesus changes whether I go to eternity and joy and happiness and peace or whether I go to condemnation and trouble and pain. When he comes again, he will come to rule. You know, it's true, and we know it to be true, that life can be overwhelming and confusing. But there is something that you can know for sure. Even in the midst of all the confusion, what you can know for sure, that Jesus paid the price for your sin, that he rose again three days, in death, conquering sin and the devil, and gives life. And today he is calling you to that salvation. He is calling you to trust him, to believe what he did, to believe who he is, that he is God, and that he did rise for your life. When you believe as your risen Savior, he stands and he pleads your case. And he says to God, the great judge of all, I paid their debt. They have life eternal. He intercedes and he protects. Although everything may fall around you and you don't understand why, you can have confidence in God. You can stand like Job in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulties and confusion and say, I know that my Redeemer lives. He is not dead. He is not an imagination. He is not an empty hope or an empty dream. He lives. He lives. Christian, trust God. He will always do right. One day you will be raised You'll be raised with him in perfection and you will see him with your own eyes. Until then, live in the confidence that your redeemer lives. He is right now preparing a place for you to live with him forever. Look to him and don't let the circumstances shake your confidence. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, then what will give you this truth, this confidence that you can know and that you can live with certainty and a life of uncertainty is to believe that Jesus Christ is God. That he came to earth and he died on the cross to pay the debt of sin that you owe. And then did not stay dead, but rose again to life giving us the opportunity for eternal life. What makes the difference is to believe that that is to confess that that is true. I believe that Jesus did die for my sin and rose again and then give my life to follow him. 
as I've been saying every week, because I know it's difficult and you can't be here or talk to me, but if you want to know more, we've got resources on our website and we've got ways that you can contact me and, and get in touch and we can, we can explain more, help you understand more, because I want you to have the same confidence that Job had and that I have, that no matter what the circumstances are around me, God lives and he will do right and he will come for me. Let's have a word of prayer before we sing one last song to conclude with. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to, to put right before our eyes the great and glorious message of the gospel. That we can take this, this one many days to remind ourselves of the glory of your resurrection, the hope that it gives, that no matter what the circumstances are that we are in, whether they are high and great or whether they are low and troublesome, that in all of those things we can trust you and we can have the hope that you are coming again, that you live, and that because you live, I will live also. I pray today that you would fill us as your people with this confidence, but also, dear God, that you would open the eyes of those who don't yet know you, that they might see your gospel, see its truth, and find the glory of your salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.